Hi there, my name's Jake Humphrey and you're listening to High Performance, our gift to you for free every single week. This is the podcast that turns the lived experiences of the planet's highest performance into your life lessons. So today, allow me and Professor Damien Hughes, who's an expert in organisational psychology, to speak to the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars, entertainers and entrepreneurs on the planet and for them to be your teacher. Today, this is what's in store. You know, my mum and dad both suffered mental health issues. I lived in a council flat and my mum had severe OCD and was cleaning the house all the time and she had eating disorders and my dad was uh, in and out of rehab for drug addiction. But now I understand addiction, I, I realise that he needs to be, I need to be pulling close and not pushing away. And, and I think um, that's one thing I learned yeah, from my childhood. Parents can be quite hard on themselves and they think they've made mistakes, but ultimately they did the best they could and you know, we've, we've come out okay and we're, we're nice people, you know. I just built community, not brand. I wasn't like building a brand, but I definitely had this sense of building a community that were truly being impacted by what I was sharing, and that was amazing for me to see that. It's not the end result, it's just the journey that I'm on, you know. And I think my biggest impact on the world is like having that ability to take someone who's really, really unhappy and make them quite happy through like food and exercise. People are sort of waiting for energy, they're waiting for the perfect night's sleep, they're waiting for all these situations, but sometimes you've got to create that environment yourself because it's not going to come. Like break out of that, you know, and, and you may not love hit training, but you might love cycling or going for a walk around the park. Just get out, get out of your house, move your body, and, and that's going to really help you live, I think, a happier, happier lifestyle, happier life. Oh, I'm super excited for this episode, actually. I've wanted to get Joe Wicks on the podcast for a long time because I think that he actually epitomises something that high performance stands for and some people make the mistake of thinking that high performance stands for high achievement like none of us on this podcast are saying that you have to be an olympian or a billionaire or a ceo you just have to be high performance in your own world your very best version we talk about doing the best you can with what you've got where you are and those three things are what we call on this podcast world class basics. We are not asking you to redefine your entire life. We are simply saying from the minute you wake up, say to yourself, is that a world-class basic? Have I woken up at the right time? Have I done the right thing as soon as I've got out of bed? Have I spoken to people in the right way? Have I been kind to myself in the right way? Have I eaten in the right way? And then at the end of the day, you look back and you say, right, where did I nail it and where did I get it wrong? We're not talking about hugely difficult tasks we're talking about simple daily things that you do to the very best of your ability world-class basics and that's what I love about Joe Wicks because you know his free workouts don't cost a penny if you go onto YouTube and check them out in their world-class basics everyone can find 10 15 20 minutes in a day you just can to enjoy a hit workout loads of his recipes are available for free but if you get his books Lots of the stuff isn't expensive, it just takes a bit of time and a bit of care and a bit of thought. And again, the food you put in your body is a world-class basic. Uh, Joe has a brand new book out called Feel Good Food. We talk about that in the episode and we talk really about how his mindset has changed from food just being a fuel to food being something that can absolutely change your mood. So enjoy the episode. Joe Wicks on the High Performance Podcast comes next. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, thanks very much for doing this. It's my pleasure, mate. I've been listening to the show, so it's nice to be um, invited on. I was wondering if I was going get, to get the call up, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> you're waiting for the phone call. <laughs> Well, you must, have a, you must have an answer ready then for our first question, because you've heard it many times. What is high performance? So for me, high performance is understanding the, the link between physical movement and exercise and our mental health. And not just understanding, but like utilising it, using that tool that can really truly change the way you live your life. Like for me, exercise isn't just about looking good. It's about changing my, you know, my mindset, my um, patience with the kids, my my happiness, like I'm, you know, I'm less stressed, I'm calmer. There's so many benefits from exercise that people don't often tap into. And so for me, I'm always promoting that message that, you know, you can change the way you feel by moving your body. Um, and it's not just food, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not just exercise, it's food, it's sleep, it's all, this thing, all these things that kind of people struggle with. But ultimately, when you let that into your life, when you let food, exercise and sleep into your life and you really embrace it and you respect it, you can just live such a happier life. You can really get through life. You can take on the challenges that we face because you know we're exercise you can do it in the morning and it can completely change your mindset for the day or you can come over after a stressful day of work do something and you know when you walk back into the living room or you come back into that house you are fundamentally a different person and so that for me is high performance and you know really using that when you're struggling and getting and things are getting you down what gets you down when do you find you're struggling I think for me, like obviously during lockdown, not seeing friends and family, realising how much of a social kind of in, like human being I am, I just love being around people. So for me to do everything virtual, like obviously I loved what, what P with Joe was like and had, had all those people. But for me, like I love you know, live events and interacting with people. So I found that, that whole time quite difficult. Um, and obviously because it just went on for so long, it was like, when are we going to be able to spend time with our family and friends and, and all those things? So I think for me, that's probably the one thing that I struggle with the most when I'm my life's pretty much virtual, if you like, in a sense. You know, my community is very much online. So it's like Instagram and YouTube and it's very virtual. But when I do events, that's when I come to life. You know, when I'm visiting schools and doing Pee with Joe on tour, like on a stage of a thousand kids and families in front of me, like that's, that's really when I feel most energised and alive. So I look forward to it and I kind of miss those moments. That's, that's very interesting though, because I think if you walked out of here into central London and said to most people, Joe Wicks, They'd immediately talk about PE with Joe, the fact you were there during the pandemic, that you had tens of millions of people working out with you on YouTube. Yet that was a time where you were struggling because you weren't able to interact and be with, with other people. Is that a good lesson for you and for people listening to this, that life isn't always about your achievements and your successes. It is about making sure that it's about doing the things that really make you happy. Definitely, yeah. And I think a lot of my joy and happiness comes from you know, helping other people. And I actually had a real, it was a real high, like P with Joe was a high, emotional high. I was doing those live workouts, millions of people took part. And, you know, when it ended, I stopped and reflected on what I was doing and obviously read all these wonderful letters and cards and things. And I processed like what I'd actually done. And I was there for people when they really needed it. Like the people were really down and there was a lot of people struggling. And so I kind of, I look back at it, it was a fond memory and during a difficult time. But for me, ultimately, I just, as long as I'm helping people, as long as it's, 
it could be through YouTube, it could be through events, it could be a live, you know, a podcast or a conversation I have. As long as I'm helping other people live a healthier life and a happier life, that's where I get most of my, my, my joy from. So it's not really about personal success. It's like the more people I reach, the happier I become almost. And I, I, I really feed off of that, you know, the positive feedback I get from people. And still a whole lot of my life is revolves around replying to people on Instagram and reaching out and doing, you know, voice notes. And people still think it's that someone else is doing that but it's me like when I've sent a voice note because I'm interacting with people it's really me because I I need that I need to feel that connection with humans it's not just views and likes and book sales you know what I mean it's more than that and that really is what kept me going through lockdown because I you know, 18 weeks is a long time and I had no idea how long I was going to be doing it for but every day I woke up and I sometimes wasn't in the mood I wasn't feeling like doing it but when I stepped in and did that I also felt great at the end of it do you know what I mean so I get a lot from giving I think. See what fascinates me about your success Joe is that like Billy Connolly once described sort of like the fitness industry as eat less, move more in four words. And so it's relatively commonsensical. And yet you seem to connect with people on a deeper level where they do seem to follow what you're doing and they do seem to engage with you. Why do you think you're able to cut through that to get such high levels of connection with so many people? I often wonder that question because when I do these events, like I did the P with Joe tour, I visited six cities in six days and there's like three-year-old kids there and there's 70-year-old grandmas there and grandpas and I think, how is it I'm able to communicate and share the same message essentially with young toddlers and grandparents around moving, getting up, exercise, like lifting your mood and your vibe and I don't know, I think it just comes down to the way I deliver the message, like... I'm just kind of, I'm enjoying, people can see I'm genuinely enjoying it. Like I do love it. I do love exercise. And so in that moment when I'm sharing those videos and I'm, I'm being the body coach, like I'm, I'm really at my happiest. And I think because I make it simple and accessible, I don't make it overwhelming. And I, you know, I, I've had videos where like I get a stitch or I roll over and get my inhaler out because I've got a bit of a tight chest. And I think people like the realness of me. Like I'm not editing the videos. I stop and I sometimes get a stitch and I, like, I can't carry on. And that kind of makes you, I think people that do my work, it's feel like, I'm really with them, really going through the workout and I'm, I'm struggling with them. And I think that that makes it kind of quite uh, motivating, I think, yeah. rather than me being some like super human fit guy that can't, that doesn't have breaks, doesn't stop. And same with the mental health. Like, I share, if I'm having a t- difficult day, I talk about that. I talk about how I'm not in the mood for this workout. I feel really stressed and I'm, I'm really pissed off, but let's do it together. And by the end of it, we'll come through it and we will feel better at the end of that workout. And that is the power of the, the, the exercise, I think. But the authenticity requires real courage doesn't it because like if you talk about the medium of instagram that like my perception is it's always sort of like uh, beautiful models that look perfect that are not sort of making mistakes or admitting fallibility so tell us where you develop that courage to be so authentic and genuine i think it's just like when i look back actually you know and i've just recently shot a documentary around my childhood around looking into my you know my upbringing and what I went through as a kid and you know my mum and dad both suffered mental health issues I lived in a council flat and my mum had severe OCD and was cleaning the house all the time and she had eating disorders and my dad was a in and out of rehab for drug addiction so I think that affected me that gave me this like there's something in me when I did those P with Joe works when I woke up at the, in the morning to set that alarm and I was thinking about other people I was thinking about myself in that position like I was so confused and anxious and quite a disruptive little boy because I had so much going on at home that exercise was my release if I didn't have that I would have really struggled so I was thinking about those things so I think my experience as a kid and being in that position I thought I've got to do this I've got to get families moving because if I don't they're gonna they're gonna really struggle with their mental and their physical health so you know that that's been a big driving force I think that I know I know that I can reach people and I can really have an impact on people's lives and I think as long as I focus on that as long as that's my north star and my you know my focus in life everything else will 
will just will, will come naturally. I don't have to fight for it. You know what I mean? I'm just doing what I love and helping people. How how challenging for you and your siblings was that was that upbringing in that environment? It was really tough. You know, it's hard to talk about it and not get emotional because I tr- I try and, I try and detach myself from that kid, but. You know, I went through some crazy stuff. Like it was chaotic. You know, it was really mad. And as a parent now, when I'm with my two kids, I realise how much love they need, how much like patience and and kindness and understanding they need. That I, I probably didn't, you know, I probably didn't deal with it great as a kid. And I think as I as I grew up into a teenager, I, I become very resentful and angry because it was like, you know, when you when you're when someone in your family is a drug addict, it's the constant. You know, it's the absence, it's the relapses. It's like you think they're clean, everything's going well, everything's perfect, and then suddenly he's gone again. So it definitely affected me. And I think exercise was always that thing I lent back on, you know, in school. It was the only subject that teachers could really, truly tame me and like keep me kind of level because I was so distracted, I couldn't focus. Whereas sport and and allow myself to run around and let off that energy, that steam, like really fundamentally changed my life, I think. And that really drove me down the the career of, you know, sport and exercise and becoming a personal trainer and even when you think about now like as the the PE with Joe thing I I always wanted to be a PE teacher I've just come this you know this full circle coming back to this moment where I'm actually doing what I love just not in schools I'm doing it you know on, on a camera in front of my in the living room um have you heard of the feel better live more podcast with Rangan Chatterjee I know Dr Chatterjee but I've, I've been on his podcast yeah of right. course I do, yeah so I, I went on there and spoke to him about my childhood and I had this opinion right that I had had a not bad childhood but the bad things had happened and I, I described it as really sort of kind of average, right? Little, not Nothing like what you've been through, but changing schools through being bullied, losing a grandparent to suicide, getting fired from McDonald's, exam failures, lots of rejection early in my career and all these things. And I was talking to him about it was average and it was, it was a bit rubbish. And he then said to me, he said, you need to reframe that childhood as, as a world-class childhood because it, at a very early age, gave you a real understanding that human beings are flawed, life can be a challenge, you never really know what's around the corner. Um, And I'd never even considered it in that way. But then when we look at all the people we speak to on this podcast, and whether it's Billy Munger, the racing driver, losing his legs and coming back from that, whether it's Dame Kelly Holmes self-harming and winning Olympic gold medals, whether it's Anthony Middleton losing his dad at a young age and still making it into special forces. It's this understanding that trauma can lead to triumph, right? And that just because something is hard for you, it isn't necessarily bad for you. Is that something that you can relate to, that maybe the very reason we're sitting here having this conversation now is because of what happened in your childhood? Yeah, it's a nice way of putting it. I haven't heard that, turning trauma into triumph. But I think you're right. You know, we're so, we're a product of our upbringing, aren't we? And we are we have these experiences and they can really affect you and they can really, you know, send you in that, you can go down the same direction, you can end up in the same destructive path, which for, for my family is drugs. And I think it scared me so much. And I had this thing that I'd heard once that, you know, if, you, if you're an addict, if your father's an addict, it's, it's genetic. Because he's, my dad's, um, my dad was also an alcoholic. So I had this fear that if I took drugs or drank, you know, I was going to become like a drug addict. So I think that really, really frightened me, I think. And because of that, you know, I, I, I literally just channeled my energy somewhere else. I, I joined the gym at 16. I remember joining the gym and I, I don't know what was making me, but every day I'd go there after school. It was like, it was like my therapy. Like I just knew because when I went home, it was going to be such madness and chaos and confrontation and arguing with my mum. Because me and my mum obviously argued so much because she wanted me to clean my bedroom all the time. She wanted us to hoover every day. And it was just like this friction because I didn't understand. She didn't know she had a mental health issue and I didn't know. I wish now I knew because I think I would have had a much easier childhood and teenage years with, with her and I would have understood her. But yeah, it's it's made me realise that 
you know, we are a product of our upbringing and we have to embrace those experiences. I don't have any resent, resentment towards my mum and dad. I, you know, we have a great relationship today and I love them. And I think I often say to them, like, you know, thank you for raising me because there's something you and, you know, you and dad instilled in us have made us the, the, you know, the people we are. And me and my brother, Nicky, and my little brother, Jules, we've all turned out all right. So, you know, I think parents can be quite hard on themselves and they think they're, they've made mistakes, but ultimately they did the best they could. And, you know, we've, we've come out okay and we're, we're, we're nice people, you know. So what would you say were the most valuable lessons then that you were taught during that childhood that have led you to such success today then, Joe? Well, I think the most important thing that we had was just like, although it was madness and, you know, there was absence and there was confrontation, we always felt loved. And I think as a parent now, like, I know I can make mistakes, but as long as I let Indy and Marley know that I love them and I'm there for them and I'm stable and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there for them when times get tough. Because I think as a kid... When my dad left, I would always think it was something to do with me or, you know, why why can't he just give up drugs? Why is it not like, why can't he put it down? But ultimately, you know, I, I learned to kind of accept that. And I, as an adult now, I can look back and I can, I've got more empathy, you know, because at the time I was angry, but now I understand addiction. I, I realise that he needs to be, I need to be pulling close and not pushing him away. And, and I think um, that's one thing I learned, yeah, from my childhood. But tell us how you did learn that lesson, because as a child, you obviously feel that you're responsible, that you're not enough that to persuade your dad to give up drugs or something. So how did you learn to uncouple that? I don't know if there's a specific moment, but I think it's just resilience. I think kids can, we, we can go through so much, you know, and you just come out of it and you love your parents, whatever, don't you? Whatever they said to you, whatever you went through, experienced, you, I think we just, kids just can tolerate a lot and they just grow up and they're resilient. So I think... My trauma has been a positive thing. It's effective. I've used it and really channeled it in such a positive way to like go on and help people. I didn't turn it into a destructive thing that made me feel like I wasn't good enough and I need to re- somehow, you know, self-medicate with drugs and alcohol and whatever. I just completely wasn't on my radar. And I think, I suppose, just seeing the destruction and the devastation that it can have was probably the biggest thing, the biggest, like, it just put me off so much. And I went a different path. I really chose a different direction in life. So how much of it was running away from... Uh, from what you'd seen in terms of the chaos and versus how much of it was running towards a different future that you that you'd crafted for yourself I'm very motivated but I don't know where it came from I can't put my finger on it and say I, I was pushed by someone or I was you know setting goals at a young age I, I just wanted to be a PE teacher because I love my PE teacher and I really like the relationship with them and I got on well with them and I thought this is a cool job and I, I can help other kids who might be a little bit anxious and stressed and a bit frustrated or maybe going through stuff at home that I can be that positive role model in their lives at school I don't know where that kind of drives come from but once once I knew I had it and had this ability to connect with people I just went you know this is what I'm going to do this is what I'm going to keep sharing and you know my mission today is exactly the same as when I started in 2012 like with the Twitter and the Instagram videos I just want to get someone moving exercising cooking a healthy recipe and that's all I think about every day just like that simple task and and all of my success and all of my um you know my whole career has just been formed on that one that one mission really so we sit here now and you've got millions of people buying your books following your workouts downloading your app um listening to your podcast there's so many different touch points people have got for you but that only comes through trust right and so this is a, I guess this is really a conversation about resilience and sticking with it and consistency. Did you realise right at the beginning when you started using social media that you were creating a brand? Absolutely not. Like you're talking 2012, 2013, like I could see a few people on there sort of sharing videos and online recipes and sort of workout plans. But I was still a personal trainer in a park in Surbiton. An old deer park, I used to do the boot camps then. This is when social media was like just starting out, but 
I, I just loved, I just really got a buzz when I shared a recipe, like say it was like 4 p.m. I shared a recipe and then a few hours later, people are tweeting me like pictures of that meal they made because they just like grabbed the ingredients on the train home. Like there was something in that for me, something felt good about that. If there's any addiction in me, it's that feeling of like helping someone do something good and feel yeah. good. And I think that is probably what I love. And I can sit on my phone all day replying to DMs and engaging with people that have like, you know, on the app or done, done the plan or enjoying Pee with Joe. So I think... That's a real big draw for me, like a big energy source, if you like. But building brand, like that that's just come from really just sharing content, you know, just being like passionate, I think. And I never thought I was going to, you know, I've sold nearly four million books, which is insane, right? When all I did was throw food in a pan on my iPhone in Surbiton, like I was living in a flat. I was struggling to be a PT, like I couldn't even get enough clients to my boot camp. So it was tough, but something in me and it was very antisocial because I was on my phone and people would be like why are you recording every meal you eat why can't you just sit and enjoy this moment so I was very like antisocial in those early stages but there wasn't this thing like I'm going to get followers because I can get a book deal and you know a DVD deal in the future like it just wasn't it just wasn't on my mind but obviously th so many great opportunities come when you have a big audience of people that are engaged in what you're doing but it was it's accidental but as I say like I'm a 10 year overnight success you know it's it's 10 years of free content and sharing videos and recipes and then obviously things happened off the back of that I just built community not brand I wasn't like building a brand but I definitely had this sense of building a community that were truly being impacted by what I was sharing and that was amazing for me to see that and even to this day when you've got lots of people around you and you've got publishers and producers and all kinds of demands on your time how much now do you still focus on the process rather than the outcome like I said, it's all about the impact, right? So when I did P with Joe, it was just instant. I was just doing it live and I could see the people doing it. I could read the comments. It was instant. And even now, like, if I have a day where I'm feeling a bit demotivated and a bit flat and I think it's just work, 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 I, I just tap into those DMs because I get constant, you know, messages from people and I read these wonderful, you know, the transformations and the physical and emotional journey that people have been on. And that, for me, is, is kind of what keeps me going. That's what keeps me coming back to it. So it's never about... I mean, I'm always setting goals, but it's never about the actual end... It's not the end result, it's just the journey that I'm on, you know. And I think my biggest impact on the world is like having that ability to take someone who's really, really unhappy and make them quite happy through like food and exercise. That's do you what set it's targets though? Do you say like, I want X million Instagram followers or I want a certain number of book sales or, or have you learned the power of just making the sort of next right decision is what's going to is what's going to get you there. Because I just feel that there'll be people listening to this and we live in this world of, of brand building or community building now, don't we? Where anyone, if they really believe in something, can create a community and make that their life, a purpose-driven life. I suppose really it's what advice you would give for those people. With me, like, because obviously I've had this career, I think there's a lot of people now that want to see like, well, I want to get followers because I can get TikTok brand deals, I can get money, I can get book deals and I can get and that's fine if you have those goals but it should never be about that don't chase the money like you know just chase the per like, let the purpose be what leads you and all those things kind of follow you in a way you know what I mean like th those opportunities those those things will come but I suppose the truth is just uh, what I like to see is just people being themselves showing the good the bad the ugly you know being honest if they're you know having a, a, da a bad day of eating or you know, exercising for a while. I think that especially in the fitness space people think there's this perfect like you know this perfect image of someone that's just is so amazing doesn't ever make mistakes doesn't have bad days and not many people are actually like that most people are human and have have periods where they drop their motivation or they're eating junk food and I think that's quite normal but I just think the most important thing is are you sharing content that's helpful is it really helpful is it just about you and your ego is it making you feel good or is it truly useful content and purposeful that's going to give someone something to go right I can follow that at home or I can give that recipe a go 
Yeah. And so I don't overthink these things. I'm not always thinking I need more followers. I just think, can I just give the people that follow me like good content and can I help them in, in some way? And that's, I'm not really overthinking it, if you like. Yeah. I think a lot of people on social media, they're just so analytical of themselves and they're so worried about what people are going to think of them that maybe they start to change their, their true tone of voice and what they really are about. Whereas I've just been the same from the start to now. And that's why I naturally, my audience grows because I'm just, I'm speaking to so many people sharing the same message over and over again. And it's sort of, every now and again, it's, it lands on someone like, oh, I like that. I like how he's talking about that. So that comment you made earlier then, Joe, around reading some of the feedback that you get on social media channels about your work really intrigues me because a lot of our interviewees we have on this podcast series tune out from that kind of feedback. So how do you deal with negative criticism of what you do when you inevitably hear that? I think there was a little bit of that. Before P with Joe, there was a few you know people that were giving me a bit of grief and digging me out. And it was I always found it quite upsetting, but I learned to kind of understand that they were I just I just realized that being a young trainer being a young person trainer is quite a tough industry to break into and it's it's hard right so I always I'm, I'm always understanding of how difficult it can be so I never responded and never interacted but P with Joe just killed it off because when they watched me do that 18 weeks with my family running around the living room and they saw how much it meant to me and that I was doing it, I think you you couldn't you truly saw what I was about and you know I know I made some money from the YouTube views but I donated that to the chat I didn't want anyone to think that I was benefiting from that or that it was in my mind so I donated all the money to the NHS charities which was felt like the right thing to do and I think people finally saw you know what he's not just this guy that got luck on social media and he's not just about the books and the you know the, the plan sales and stuff he, he really cares about people and I suppose the negative sentiment is just it just doesn't really exist on my channels anymore um, I'm sure I could find it if I looked at it elsewhere but yeah. in, within my ecosystem people don't really jump on and dig me out anymore so in your inner circle who who does make sure that you're staying true to the job that started all this in 2012? I think it's just within, isn't it? It's just like, you know, you can, you can, you can let like fame and fortune and followers like affect your ego or it can actually just do nothing to you and you just carry on as you are. And for me, it just, it doesn't make a difference. Like when I had a million people doing the live work, it was the same as at the end when there was 20,000. Like it didn't make no difference to me. Do you know what I mean? And I think I just know that instinctively. I just know that be yourself, don't get too big for your boots and, yeah, and be nice to people. you're describing that like as if that's, that's natural and yet for so many others getting high on their own supply is a trap that they do fall into so yeah I think so how do you avoid it I've been watching documentaries around this around you know the Instagram effect and the social social um, dilemma and those kind of it really rattles me because I think I can see even with people I know like can really affect their ego and their their self-esteem and sometimes positively but sometimes negatively if they can't keep that you know that candle burning the whole time and it and you can see that people get affected by it can it can really affect their mental health but for me I just don't I'm not, I don't know, I'm just not, I don't overthink it. It's not, it just comes naturally to me that I know that I'm here to help other people. It's not about me. And obviously I've had an amazing life and I've got an amazing career, but ultimately it all, it all stems from the very first post, which was trying to get someone following me to go and exercise because it might help them feel happier. And that's, it's a simple thing that I think about every day and, and every, every decision comes off that. Do you know what I mean? So all of these amazing things that come your way and that you get offered... What are the questions you ask yourself to make sure that that North Star is still the guiding light that you follow rather than something going, look, Joe, I know it's a bit dodgy, but pff, you're going to make five million quid. How do you not allow yourself to get taken down those roads? I've only been in one of those big, big like financial situations where like, I got kind of tested when a supermarket chain in the UK wanted to do like a, a brand, you know, branded partnership with some food products. And I was like really excited about the concept and the idea of it but then when I realised what it is they wanted me to sell it was ready meals and fast food and microwave dinners and frozen meals and, and I said you know what 
I can't do that. I've spent like 10 years bigging up lean in 15 saying you got 15 minutes and you can cook healthy food. So I, it wasn't like a, a big decision. Really. I just thought, well, you know what, I could never hold my hand up and be proud of that partnership and say the Joe Wicks Ready Meals are available now in this supermarket. So, you know, I, I walked away from that and I actually had an amazing opportunity with Gusto, which is a great company because they actually, they really do send out actual ingredients. You obviously still still cooking a recipe, but they just take out that kind of step, which is like getting the ingredients and the recipe. So, you know, I lost that opportunity, but something else great happened, which I'm even more proud of. And I, and it really has been a great partnership. So I think sometimes you just know instinctively, and I do, and I think my brother Nicky always good with this. He always knows the right questions to ask and we work together. So just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Some opportunities you think, that's a great opportunity, but is it really what I believe in? And the truth is that I don't believe, even when I was doing the Weaning 15 books, I started doing the, the children's weaning book and I loved it. And I was getting all these brands going, oh, can you promote this new, you know, baby yogurt? And I was like, oh, but I give my, my give my kids just the usual like full fat Greek yogurt. And I didn't want to give them the, you know, the old sugary yogurt. So that this is like hundreds of thousands of pounds I turned down that year because I didn't want to be on there promoting weaning 15 saying you need to cook your kids healthy food and banging out yogurts from supermarkets. So I just, I don't even think about it. You know, I just say no and I walk away from it. So what are the three sort of questions that you and your brother Nicky would ask yourself internally to, to make sure that you do stay true to that North Star? I think the first one is, you know, do we really believe in this? Is it something that would I really truly give my kid these yogurts? And the, the question is, no, I don't. And so like that, those kind of decisions are quite easy. Or I imagine my nan going to the supermarket, going home with this microwave dinner. And I was like, I was really upset by that thought. I was like, I don't want my nan, because she does eat microwave dinners. And I didn't want her to buy one of my face on it. I'd be unhappy with that money. I wouldn't be proud, I'd be embarrassed, and I'd be ashamed of it. Whereas the Gusto thing, I create recipes, you get the box delivered, and like, you make a recipe. So it's part of the, it's still really ultimately part of the mission. Just means you ain't got to have the stress of walking around the supermarket, you know what I mean? So that was a kind of replacement to that. But I mean, there's been things we've tried along in the past. Like I tried to do a, you know, a protein supplement company thing with my protein that didn't quite work out, and the pots and pans. You know, you have a go at these things because I still believe that, you know, I use whey protein in my shakes. I still have a little bit, you know, after a workout, and I, I use pots and pans. But not everything you do in life turns to gold, and that's what I've realised that I've started just to focus in on the things that I'm good at, which is delivering really good, you know, online fitness content and just simple healthy recipes through Instagram, through my cookbooks. And that's just really what I'm giving all my time and energy to. And I'm not getting distracted by the opportunities that there could be. And those things that haven't worked out, can you talk through a couple of those and why you think they didn't fly or didn't have the impact that, that they had? Because that's also really good learning for people listening to this podcast. Yeah, so the two things I'd say that haven't been a success, I'd say is yeah, the partnership with my protein, because, um, you know, I thought, a lot of my customers on the 90 day plan were like buying all the protein, were loving it. And, you know, loads of people were buying it. And so it's like a really great affiliate thing. And we said, oh, let's do a partnership. Let's like, you know, put some, some co-branded body coach, Joe Wicks um, protein, but just not the whole population, the whole general market don't necessarily want to use protein. They don't know necessarily the kind of understand what it can be used for. Cause it's not just for shakes. You can make it, you know, put it in your pancakes and your overnight oats and things. It can be quite useful, but I think there was just a disconnect between the general population who weren't quite ready to be using supplements and me just trying to promote a healthy message around food. And I always say, you know, real food is better than dust, right? So always choose a bit of chicken or some salmon over a protein powder. And I think, yeah, it was just like, I, caught, I sort of knew pretty much straight away it wasn't going to be successful and that's fine. And, you know, there was partnership kind of just fizzled out. But same with the pots and pans. You have this expectation, well, Jamie Oliver's, you know, got like this amazing range of TIFO. So surely like you've done just as many books almost or, or like nearly as many books um, as, his, as his most successful book. Loads of people are going to buy pots and pans, but 
again it just didn't quite take off you know and it's fine but you know i do i still have them at home i still use them i love them but <laughs> i just think there's expectations that you know millions of people are going to be buying your pots and pans but i'm not really a professional chef you know I, I'm just a guy who was a trainer who started cooking on Instagram. So I think to have that kind of product, you've got to be a recognised, you know, like a Jamie or Gordon or, you know, Raymond Blanc, like a proper chef, because then you're respected in that space. You know what I mean? But it was worth having a go, wasn't it? Worth trying. Well, then, exactly. That's but well, that's the perfect yeah. response, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah. But I'm. Um, but so, how did you process it then? So, how did you and Nikki and your team, like, how quickly did you did you realise this isn't going to work? And what did you learn from it for? Um, another endeavour I suppose you know the pots and pans were like, available in all the supermarkets and like you know John Lewis and everything and it wasn't like it wasn't a complete flop like it did sell but not the numbers they were expecting for it to yeah. extend the you know the partnership because they give you like a you know guaranteed minimum and anything over that you get like royalties on the on the product sold but I think we knew after a couple of years it wasn't going to take off so just you know naturally just kind of fizzled out you probably still find it on the old bargain bucket in TK Maxx or something, <laughs> but, but it doesn't hit the ego hard you, that doesn't no because I genuinely thought it was a good idea, like, because I thought, well, I'm using pots and pans and I'm using all these other ones. Why not, you know, have a go? And they were lovely products, but yeah, like I said, I just don't think there's that connection between like a proper, sh I'm not a proper chef, so I, I didn't have that credibility, I don't think, but it doesn't affect my ego because I just think, you know, you had a try, it was an opportunity that you, you took. Do you know why I don't think it affects your ego, right? It's because the really powerful takeaway so far from this conversation for people is if you can live a purpose-driven life, you almost can't ever make a bad decision. Does that make sense? Because so your purpose is to improve people's lives, to get them eating better food, to get them healthier physically and mentally. Well, the protein powder might not have worked out, but it was absolutely in tune with your purpose. The pots and pans were in tune with your purpose. If you were just doing a random scattergun sort of nonsense, then you could go, oh, I'm an idiot for going with that deal. But you can say to yourself, do you know what? The intention was right. The purpose was right. I gave it a go. And I think it gives you a, it gives you a real serenity that, you know, we use the phrase, do the best you can where you are with what you've got. If you just do the best you can where you are with what you've got, you literally can't do any more than that. That's your maximum. Yeah. And you know the reason I, noticed, I, I knew and I, I still think stood by the decision is this morning I had a my protein, chocolate <coughs> brownie protein shake. I'm still using it. I still use the pots and pans. So it's not like I did it and went, oh, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't believe it. I'm still, it's like I've still used the product. So it was just like, yeah, I thought, you know, people people are going to have a nice protein shake or they're going to use pots and pans, you know, why not use mine? But I'm just purpose-driven, not profit-driven. I mean, I could have made a lot more money if I'd taken all these brand deals, you know, energy drinks, fast food mm. chains, all the... But it just, like you said, it's not part of my mission. It's, I mean, it would completely devalue everything I believe in. And like I said, I could have more money in the bank, but I certainly wouldn't be happy or proud to be like, oh, mum, look, I have to sign this deal. Like, I like celebrating what I do because it gets me close towards my goals. Do you still take moonshots, though? Do you still do kind of really big, brave stuff that scares you? Or have you now decided, like, this is my niche, this is where I am, I know I can do this successfully? Because I, I, th I think... I, I love horizon seekers, like, just pushing the envelope. My moonshot was to get children all over the UK exercising, to engage them in fitness, to, to show them what it can do to their lives. So it's hard to set something bigger than that. What I have been thinking about is I want to have that impact in the US. I'd love to be able to say, you know, I've had an amazing impact on, on fitness in the UK in schools, but I could, you know, I know the US struggle a lot with it. So could I go over there and have an impact there? But obviously it's scary because not a lot of British people do well there. They go and have a crack yeah. 
and they come back with their tail between their legs and they're sort of, you know, it's not as easy as you, you think. you released books out there. Did, I'm sure, did I watch a video of you years ago going, oh, I've tried the books, didn't sell very many, I'm going to head home or something? Yeah, I released one book. So my first book, Lean in 15, the red one, sold 1.4 million copies in England, right? Yeah. Which is like really successful. But in the UK, in the US, I did like 10,000 because you've got to be out there on the radio, traveling about. And I did one press trip and it didn't quite take off, but I'm actually going to release my next book. So the new, the new book coming out, Feel Good Food, I'm going there next April to release that one so yeah I'll have another crack but again what do you do differently then this time what will I do differently I think it's just you've got to just be out there like I think in order to be that successful globally you have to sacrifice a lot of time I think with your family and kids you can't be at home doing the school run reading bed you know kids books at night and still be in America selling books and being like successful so I think there's a balance but I'm I'm, I've got a good balance I think I'm really proud of what I've achieved but I'm not I like I like the best of both you know what I mean can you talk to us then about the power of getting the balance right. I'll be totally candid, right? I look at your Instagram and I feel jealous because I sometimes see you in your ice bath and then in your, in your sauna and I think, oh man, he's managed to find the time to take care of himself. And then I see you going off for three months around the States and your beautiful children and they're learning to skateboard and on the coast and you go off on your motorbike. I saw you with friends and your dad taking the bikes out for a ride and every time I see those I think I think to myself I must make time to do that because it's going to go by quick and then I've got a pod records and tv work to do and various other little bits and pieces and I I'm sort of I'm waiting to have that, that period and as we both know you never know what's around the corner right yeah you may well never get that period so what would you share with us about that I heard this phrase once which is um don't wait till you're older to retire have mini retirements every year you know like little moments like that was a, that's a rare moment where I get three months because Indy's starting school soon it's not going to happen but just to do that and like obviously when I'm away in the US things slow down you know less books less apps less income you know less opportunities because I'm turning down work right but for me like the sacrifice it's not worth it like I need to have those moments where I'm with my family I'm with Rosie I'm completely present and you know, I think it's so important because otherwise you look around and you obviously achieve so much in your career successfully, but how much time have you been with your family and friends and like real time with them, you know? And what do you mean by real time? Like not, you know, not there on my phone doing emails, like still working up there, but not there. Cause it's so easy to still run a business cause it's all online. I can still be like away and still keep things ticking over. That is the thing. Like I can film anywhere and just upload videos to the app. I can upload videos to YouTube. So I'm really lucky I've got that flexibility, but I really value the importance of family time. And I think if I just worked, worked, worked into every opportunity, I would sacrifice too much of the things that I really love, which is like family time, you know, little ski trips with my mates and, you know, Christmas time and holidays with my family. I think it's easy to get caught up in success. And when you start having it, you think, is it going to last forever? And I've got to be hot all the time. I need to be popping all the time. But, you know, you can't be like that. You can't be like that all the time and not expect something to be sacrificed. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I heard you talking with Fern on an interview and you used a phrase that I found really helpful where you said that not everything in nature blooms all the time. It's almost like everything, whether it's the trees, whether it's plants, they have their moment and then they go and recover and rejuvenate and I found it a really helpful phrase to think about so how do you compartmentalize that you you could potentially have quite a short career in many ways that your time in the sun is bright so how do you sort of allow yourself that moment to go away and rejuvenate and not think you've got to maximize every opportunity I just factor it into my year like if I don't I'm going away with my mates for a couple of days skiing. You know, I'm going to Coachella in April. So if I don't factor these, if I don't block that time out, I will just work because there's events, you know, do another pod, like you said, do another podcast series, do more live events, do another tour. Like there's constantly things to do. So I have to just say, I'm not going to work in April. Like I don't care. I'm just not going to work because if I don't, I don't say that and block the diary out someone's going to fill it up and it'll be work. So how do you process it though that there might be somebody coming on your heels that you think it's the new body coach, the new the new guy that's going to be in vogue? So how do you process that and not get caught up in that comparison or competition? Uh, I'm sure there's definitely someone coming up who's going to be just as amazing and, you know, sharing amazing videos and inspiring. But I still think I've got this... I still think I've got time left, you know, I don't think, I feel obviously like with fitness, you're going to have an expiry date as such, but you know, when I look at Mr. Motivator, still getting people fit at like 70 years old, I think, why not? Why can't I be an inspirational dad? Why can't I be an inspirational granddad and still be training and stuff? So I'm not like in a massive rush to like, you know, replace myself with someone younger and better than me. Do you know what I mean? I just keep doing what I do every day and that's it. It's just, I don't really think much in that. I'm not someone who plans really really far into the future do you know what I mean I just live in the now really like what am I going to do today that's about as far as I look a couple of weeks or a couple of months in advance but I'm not one who has a diary blocked out for like years and years in advance but then when you go skiing with your friends in a couple of weeks like do you turn everything off or is it or is are you thinking about the business in the back of your mind and you're scribbling ideas down even when you're in those downtimes? um no I mean I'm good now because I've got my brother's the CEO and he's like he's like He's head of all the... If you think, like, I obviously do, like, the social media, the marketing, I do all the content, but Nicky's kind of got it into position now where he's hired so many great people that we can have these little breaks and knowing that everything's going to run in the background. So we've actually got about almost 40 staff that just run the Body Coach app because it's a subscription. So there's new workouts, it's, you know, there's Android, iOS. It's quite a... It's a beast, right? A, a big a big subscription app has a lot of people working behind it. It's, it's not just simply upload a video and that's it. So... But it's, you know, you hire the right people, you you give people the right trust and you give the people, you create a culture that, you know, it can effectively, you know, it can run itself, even if we have a week or two off together. Do you know what I mean? So we're, yeah, we're, in, yeah. a, we're in a position, but that, it hasn't been like that for, a, it's taken a while to get to that point, if you know what I mean. Can you tell us then how you create a culture in your business? How do you bring your team along for the ride with you? I think it comes from the top and it's one of those things it's easy to say you know we have a good culture and we want this and that but it's like putting into practice another thing but we a lot of the re- hiring's been remote so it's been you know people going through rounds of interviews like iOS developers and head of products and CTOs and um 
head of people, like really senior people that I haven't actually met in person yet. So this Friday, we're going, we've rented a space in London and we're doing like a, a vision, like culture kind of fun day where I'm going to sit with them, you know, do a kind of um, talk about the vision of the company and also do a workout and get them, show them what it really means to be like part of the body coach team. So it's moments like that, you know, you, you bring people together and it stems from the top. Like me and Nikki, we're, we're brothers and we're also just so in sync with the mission, with what we believe in and how we're working towards this goal, which is to get as many people in the world, you know, exercising, improving their mental health, their physical health. And so I trust that Nikki's always delivering that message. And I think when it's so clear, the purpose of the company, and we keep saying like, it's not about, you know, getting users onto the app. It's like, how can we get clients through the cycle so that, they are getting stronger. They are progressing. You know, the North Star is how do we pro progress someone through each cycle of the plan? Because by that point, you know, they are stronger, they are healthier and they are going to be in that, that lifestyle. So, yeah, it's about bringing the right people in. And if you notice someone's not a part of that culture, not on the right train, then they have to probably move on. What characteristics do you look for that make somebody identifiable as a member of you that they will fit within your culture and bring value? It's mainly, you know, do people really care about the mission we're on? Because like, obviously there's different types of people in the business now. There's, there's engineers and there's you know, like tech, tech people and there's also customer care and customer service who speak to the clients, who, you know, supporting them through the journey. Because it is a very emotional thing. Like you said, exercise isn't just about the body, it's the mind. And it's, there's that behavioural change is so difficult. So how can we support clients more than just giving them the app and the workouts? So like how can we support them emotionally and stuff? So there's, there's people that are in the business for sort of five or six years who have been with us from the very start who are still to this day you know coaching people through the plan and giving them advice and guidance on how to overcome binging and how to come over if they're, st if they're stressed or anxious and stuff so I think it comes down to just people having people that care like that truly care about others and that's the most that's all I care about do you really care about people and if the answer is yes everything you can train them for everything else and there must be People in the business, though, that are looking at the bottom line, the income, the profit, judging all those numbers, which then allows you to be totally purpose-driven, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we've got like a new head of finance. And my, my brothers, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't understand a lot of the stuff. You know, I just, I'm good at connecting with people. I'm yeah. good at filming videos on YouTube with Hey Dougie and like getting kids moving and, you know, throwing, throwing food in the pan and farting live on my YouTube workouts. <laughs> like, it's being silly, <laughs> basically. Moment. So I don't... I don't know fully, you know, kind of all the ins and outs. Basically, if I did, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm good at. Like, Nikki takes on all of that stuff. So that's why I think we are very successful together is because we're two completely opposites, emotionally as well in some senses. And he's got all this knowledge and he's an amazing storyteller, but also he can deal with the process stuff. Like, I, I, can't, I can do, like, 10 minutes on a Zoom and I'm distracted, I'm messing around, whereas he's doing, like, these conversations every day and he's doing all this kind of the organisational structural stuff but I think because of that we've been able to like really connect and reach way more people because of that. And how are you when it when it comes to difficult conversations because you're siblings right you're brothers so I don't know either you haven't done something right or he's messed up or you don't agree on a certain decision the business needs to take how do you resolve those? Well I normally we normally I normally like we'll have a little row or we, we strop we have a little sulk and have a strop off and then we sort of come back together later on. we normally always agree but in the moment, we, we feel like we're disagreeing, but we ultimately, we want to say the same thing, but sometimes in a different way, you know, we'll get, we'll get yeah. to the same point. But we've, we've learned to kind of, um, we know now, like we're quite emotional and we get quite stressed sometimes. And, you know, we've learned to kind of read each other a bit more, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm so glad he's been with me from the very start. Like he literally came on to like help me with tweets and like help me with my DMs and stuff in the early days. And now he's the CEO of a tech company, essentially. And I, I wow. love seeing that, that journey he's been on and he's amazing what he does. He's really, really good. 
See, I see some of the parallels with what you're doing with sort of when Richard Branson started the Virgin brand, that he, he, like Virgin was all about that informality of not wearing shirts and ties back in the day and, and, and Branson's face was very identifiable with it. But how do you make that transition where it becomes more about the purpose rather than the Joe Wicks brand? How do you sort of remove yourself without diluting the brand, if that makes sense? Yeah, that's the biggest challenge when you're such a personality-driven brand because obviously like, I love what I do, but there's going to come a point where my body's not going to be able to sustain the level of training that I'm doing and I might not be able to do the YouTube workouts and everything. So we're trying to now bring in like, other trainers. We've, we've done this amazing search. We've found some other trainers who can start bringing in yoga and Pilates and different types of training so that one day, like, you know, even if the top trainer on one of your favourite platforms, like say your top Peloton trainer left Peloton, you'd still stand there because you like the you know you like the other trainer. So I think we're hoping to get to a point one one day there will be loads of passionate body coach you know trainers within that ecosystem that can still can still deliver amazing sessions and, and keep people engaged. Because I've got obviously one type of training, but some people don't want to do hit every day and smash their bodies and do like you know burpees and squat jumps. They want sort of easier stuff. So I think it's just broadening out that offering so that people feel like they can trust the body coach brand and that there's there's really fitness for everybody within there. Um, you mentioned Peloton there. I always think we can learn from other people. I think the smart people are the ones that look at where others are at and think, right, what have they got? What can I learn? What do I discard? What are the brands? What are the movements? What are the tech companies that you identify with and think, man, that's impressive. I'd love a little piece of that. I mean, the instant ones I think about is probably Calm and Headspace, like what they've done with meditation, you know, and I use them both. I use, I use head, Headspace mainly for the um, meditation with Andy and I use calm for the sleep stories i'd love the sleep stories of like matthew mcconaughey talking to sleep and stuff so like i think they're amazing what they've done. they made something that was quite difficult to understand and even connect with to making it cool like meditation has become like something that is, isn't something you're going to be embarrassed about it's a really amazing thing for your mind so i think when i look at them as a tech company what they've built and you know that the, the millions of people they've reached i think it's incredible but um my success isn't measured on how many millions of people like download the app or subscribe to it. it's more how, how many people actually use it and every day get benefits from it. So it's more about engagement with it and like, are they truly benefiting from the rest? Are they actually progressing through? Because if I know the workouts get really tough, so if they're on month seven, eight or nine, they are in a true physical transformation and they're going to be going through a lot emotionally and mentally to really push through those workouts. So my, my kind of method is always like, can I get someone to like, not just download it and buy it, but use it and properly engage with it and actually you know, transform and go through that process because it's tough. You know, these workouts aren't easy, but people so, really do amazing, get amazing yeah. results on it. So for people listening to this then, Joe, what, what would you say are the top three tips you've seen to starting an exercise programme and then sticking with it, the consistency of, like you say, getting to month six, seven or eight and still sticking with it? What are the three top tips that listeners can understand? I think the first one probably is shifting your mindset from it all being about like fat loss and inches and weight loss to being more about the mental health benefits. So we call it the non-scale victory. So if you think of your weight as a victory, right? If you lose weight, you feel amazing, but you can also be really demotivated if it stops. But you could still stay the same weight, not change physically, but you could be stronger. You could be sleeping better. You could be less stressed and happier, you know? So we try and really tap into it. And I think the more testimonies I read, the more I realize that they're the ones that stick to it. The ones that aren't just about the weight loss. Secondly, it's people that, you know, plan their week and get a bit organised. So prepping their meals, getting their recipes ready for the week, getting their food, in, you know, in the kitchen and the fridge and also planning their workouts and scheduling it into their week. Because if you don't, excuses happen, you kind of, you don't meet that, you know, don't meet that time, you don't find that time for yourself. So I think those that plan and prep are the ones that are 
probably most successful. And I say the third thing is probably the ones that truly stick to it long term are the ones that have built community within themselves, like made friends in the Facebook group or, you know, they all come to the events. I see them together, like groups of people that have met through the app or through Facebook. And so I think having that accountability because they're, they're going to have days they want to quit, but someone else might say, look, I've had the same, I feel the same, but go and do your workout, you know, stick with it. And I think that community sometimes from other people externally can really motivate you. Um, they're the top three things I'd say. And have you changed the way that you live and the way that you operate, how your daily schedule works with, with everything you've learned? I've got into this routine now. When I went to America, I realised how important sleep was for my timetable, my kind of, my mental health. Because I was in the UK, like, I can work till midnight, I've got Call of Duty, I've got movies, I've got all this stuff. But when I was in America, everyone was asleep, so there was no one to, I didn't have to stay awake and I could just put my phone down. So I was going to bed much earlier. I was going to bed like half eight, nine o'clock, which is mad, because you think that's so early. But when you wake up at half five, six, awake, and you smash your workout before your kids awake, like everything else sort of, falls into place so for me I'm trying to get that routine now so I am going to bed earlier like I'm not watching as much TV I'm not playing Call of Duty till late at night and I think that's allowing me to get up with that extra energy and train I'm training harder than I've ever trained like I'm really pushing it and I, then I have the evenings with the kids because I've, I've done all my exercise in the morning and I think I have just more energy throughout the day I'm focused I can get more done and I haven't got to like be training till half nine ten o'clock at night I can just do the bath and bedtime get to bed and have an early night and it's like a it's an amazing you know cycle of like sleep, rest, energy, and you feel amazing. But yeah, it takes discipline. Another key for all this is consistency. And I think our listeners would really benefit from you just talking to them for a few minutes about the power of consistency. Consistency and regularity is the most important thing, right? So I've been doing a lot of research on the sleep thing. Like I listened to Matthew Walker, um, the Why We Sleep guy. He's got an amazing book. And he says the most important thing with sleep is, the con- is regularity. So going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time. Because you think like, well, I'll, I'll, get, I'll, I'll get by this week on five or six hours sleep and I'll sleep all weekend and catch up. But you can't, with sleep, it doesn't work like that. So I think it's really important to discipline your time a little bit so put your phone down at a certain time you know get to bed at a certain time and it, you, I still watch TV I still have an hour of Netflix but I'm not watching two or three hours of, of, of TV every night I've, I've I've decided that sleep is more important to me and sleep benefits me way more than watching extra two, two episodes of Ozark do you know what I mean and that is discipline because it's these the way entertainment and content is designed it's so addictive you just want to roll into the next episode right and you go oh, let's watch one more but by doing that I wake up tired I don't work out as hard. I'm not probably eating as much. And the, and also the later I stay up, if I stay up, say I play Call of Duty from say nine o'clock to 11, I'm in the cupboard in the larder eating cornflakes, slice of toast, chocolate. I eat so much of the junk food between like the hours of like say nine and midnight. So by going to bed early, I ain't doing that. So I'm leaner, I'm healthier, I've got more energy. Like there's so many little things it affects. And when I wake up and I've done my workout before the kids are up, like I walk down and I'm really, really in a good mood with the kids. And I'm like, I'm patient with them, you know, and when I'm not, when I ain't exercise, I'm eating junk food, I'm a bit irritable and a bit, I'm just not the same. Like, so I think that consistency is so important because you're not going to get, you've got to get into a routine and accept that life's going to constantly try and derail you and knock you off, but just keep committing, like respect your sleep because that's the foundation it all lies on. You know, especially I, my little boy Marley was up three times last night, kick him in the head. Like he got in bed with me at 2am and just kick him in. And I just like, this is so, so stressful and, and so tired. But I got up and did a little bit of exercise and I sort of shook it off. And then I can go ahead and have a good day. But people are sort of waiting for energy. They're waiting for the perfect night's sleep. They're waiting for all these situations. But sometimes you've got to create that environment yourself because it's not going to come. It's really, in this modern world, you've got to really carve that time out and like make the effort to sort of get to bed and get off your phone and... I I think people often wait for the motivation to make a change or do something different and it's the action that leads to the motivation just start 
start doing it. For people listening to this and they want to make a change, what's the sort of, first, I mean, apart from buy the book and download the app or whatever, what's the first thing you would say, this is where you need to begin to make a real change to your life? I think it's with sleep. I think it's, we're so sleep deprived and, you know, we try to, we want to watch TV, we want to be on our phone, we want to be checking the news, we want to be, you know, playing PlayStation on the iPad and just constantly distracting our minds. And so we sacrifice, we deprive ourselves of sleep, right? And in doing so, you think you're getting on all right, but it's really tough on your hormones, it's tough on your mind and your body, and you can't quite operate at a level. This is the thing about high performance. Like, if you sleep well and you really you really find that time to to get that good, proper, proper like, pre-worker energy when you, you wake up naturally, everything else feels a lot easier, doesn't it? Like, the food choices you make, the getting in the kitchen and just cooking and actually exercising, all all comes from, did you get a good night's sleep? And, and how are you feeling? Because if you... When you're sleep deprived, you're anxious, you're stressed, you're more sensitive, like you're, everything feels so much, you're, heart, you're heightened emotion. So I would say to anyone out there, it's hard for parents because I, I say this, but it's also really hard when you've got kids that wake you up. But the only chance I've got a good night's sleep is if I go to bed after I put the kids to bed because otherwise I'm running on five, six hours sleep and I'm a zombie and I'm not the body coach. Brilliant. We've reached the point where we run into our quick fire questions, Joe. So the first one is what are the three non-negotiables that you and the people around you have to buy into well when I thought of this question I kind of thought about non-negotiables for, for, for me personally so for me to get through my day and live a high performance life number one obviously I'm quite repetitive but it's exercise it's moving your body because you know without that it's like an anchor for me it's like it brings me back to the present moment I feel calmer I feel less stressed I feel so energized and like ready to just to take on the day so for me a non-negotiable behavior is some kind of exercise it doesn't have to be a hit training session or weights it could be a bike ride with the kids or going for a walk around the block you know these just getting a bit of fresh air that's an amazing start to your day um second thing for me no matter what i'm doing i always do bedtime with the kids i have to read them books because if i've had a busy day and i've not been interacting i'm not really connecting when i put my phone down go upstairs and i do bath and bedtime like just that little 10 20 minutes of time it's so important for their, you know, that bond and that connection where there's no distractions and I see how much it helps them learn their language and, and just it's such a wonderful moment. that it's, it's the biggest, it's the best thing about my day, I think, when I get to, you know, stop and read Gruffalo or, you know, Burpee Bears, my little book or whatever it may be. And I, I really enjoy those moments. So that's another non-negotiable. And the third thing is trying to be supportive and helpful to people, you know, family, friends, whoever it is, whether it's a social media um, DM, I just always think, can I can I support that person? Can I give them a little, you know, a little bit of motivation or give them something that's going to just give them, just lift them up a little bit. And I think the more I do that, the happier I am. If I'm not connecting with people, like I'm not, you know, whether it's helping my mum or my dad or my friends or do anything, I just think I, I get a bit lost and confused. So for me, the more we can help other people that need support, the, the, the happier we'll, we become internally, I think. If you could go back to one moment in your life, what would it be and why? This is tough. I had to write this down because I was thinking about loads of moments. But I'd love to go back to when I was about five or six. It was a summer holiday. My mum and dad took us to south of France, me and my brother Nicky. And it was it was kind of like before I knew about my dad's drug addiction, before I, I was naive and kind of innocent, you know, and we used to have such great times. It was like six weeks. We'd go camping in the south of France. And it was a time when I remember just my dad being really good fun. And, you know, it was it was just like a happy moment when we were together as a family. I think, you know, my family aren't, like that they're not they're not together now mum and dad so it was it was just a positive time even though it was madness and chaotic those summer holidays where we just used to just live off of we we literally used to live off a of french stick and nutella like they'd just buy loads of french sticks loads of nutella that was our <laughs> breakfast lunch and dinner we had no money but we just it was just a really 
um, it was just a carefree time in my life when I didn't I didn't understand what my dad was going for other than he was just really fun and I loved him you know so that would be a time I'd go back to I think to live that summer holiday again and can we just talk very briefly about young people whose parents may well be experiencing something similar so people listening to this whose parents might have an addiction or a, a mental health problem what did you learn through talking to your dad that you'd be able to share with people listening to this for them to have more empathy rather than judgment of people that are struggling that's the biggest challenge i think when you're young you don't understand you can't really understand what's going on you feel angry and resentful and you feel like you're going to be in this forever and this feeling is going to overwhelm you but what i realized was being angry at my dad and pushing him away was the last thing he needed because addicts need connection they need love they need they need to be you need to pull them closer so there's a lovely phrase that i heard somewhere that the the antidote to addiction is connection it's not it's not like banish them and tell them you don't love them and you know send them off on their own and let them be depressed and lonely like it's actually give them a hug and t- you know say i love you and i love you like loving someone unconditionally when they're really struggling is, is tough because all you want for them is to be happy and them to, to to love you like you want to be loved but sometimes you have to just love without expectation without transaction it's like just let them know you love them and you're there for them and that you know you're going to get through it and i think that's a powerful it's, it's a hard thing to accept but when you finally get to that place you can really you can really overcome quite difficult thoughts and feelings and you can actually work through it and your relationship could be stronger because of it, I think. And what's your dad said, said to you in terms of adding to people's empathy? Because I, I would imagine if I was a young person and my dad was choosing, in my head, choosing drugs over me, that's a difficult mindset to get into. What's he said to you that helped you to process the decisions that he made? Well, he says to me, you know, like, I've I always loved you in spite of my addiction. It wasn't like it wasn't one or the other. It was just I loved you, and that's the thing. Like my dad, dad did, did always show love to me, and my mum and dad did. They made us, even though there was moments where it was a bit mad, we felt safe and loved. And I think that's all you need as a kid. Um, it's clearly all you need as a kid because if not, I would have been in prison. I would have been on drugs. I would have been completely off the rails. But there was something anchoring us together. And it was just knowing that we were loved. And my mum and dad used to say, when they had a big row and a tear up, they'd say, you know, we're really sorry, we love you. We just, we're going through a difficult time, you know. So I think that is that is the key. If you can show that love and empathy towards each other, you know, you will get through those difficult times, you know. And um, we've got a great relationship now, but yeah, it's emotional thinking back because I don't, I just can't see myself as that kid anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just been like loads of shouting and doors getting slammed. Like, I just, I can never do that around my kids. And so I, I find it hard to, visualize and sort of picture myself in that situation but yeah i do think with addiction you've just got to learn to love that person unconditionally because it's it's only harder if you push them away i think and for you how like how did you explain this to your wife because you're entering into that partnership where you've experienced that dysfunction so what kind of conversations did you have to your wife to ensure that your children didn't experience anything similar i think we have a really great open conversation about things you know we're Rosie's um, not experienced that personally herself, um, but you know we've all got you know we've all got parents that have had issues, and you know mental health can affect so many people. It's not just um, it can be grandparents. It's like you might have thought your grandparents had mental health issues, but they just didn't talk about it. it was, it's quite common, but now I think people understand. And I think me and Rosie just try and we try and agree on a, our parenting style, and we try and just love and nurture our kids in a, in a similar way. And I think that's all you can do, isn't it? As long as you can teach your kids to be kind. You know, they're going to make, when they become teenagers, they start to make their own decisions. You don't know where they're going to, where they're going to go with those. But as long as you love and support them and, and let them know that you're going to be there for them, I think, I think they're going to turn out okay, you know. 
I hope. Lovely. What's the reason that it makes you emotional thinking back to that period? Is it because you feel sorry for that boy that was missing some love or... I mean, I found the documentary really... Basically, I've, I've had to stop myself a few times from like, because I can feel it coming up, the emotion, and I, I cry all the time. I cry on TV, I cry on my podcast. I'm, I'm sensitive, but I think going back into my child, I realised it affected me more than I thought. So I thought, you know, I don't think about the part. I don't look back. I just, I just live in the moment. But, you know, it was really difficult seeing... Just seeing what I went through and understand. It's just when I see my kids, you know, they're so... They just need a cuddle and they need love and they need support and they need stability. And I didn't have stability. And I think when you do have that, you're, you're very, um, you're just always on edge. You know, my brother was, my older brother Nick was always anxious and I was just always kind of, I kind of was hyperactive and, you know, I had behaviour issues. I played, I acted, it acted out in school, you know, I wasn't, I was just all over the shop. And I think now, now knowing what they went through, I, if I had known about my mum and dad's mental health issues, I could have been a, I could have understood them. And I think that's the key with parental mental health is trying to bring the kids into the conversation as early as possible. Because if you do, you can, you can really communicate better and you can understand when mummy and daddy's not feeling great and, and it's not your fault. And I think that's what this documentary is going to hopefully un, unravel a little bit. We talk often on the podcast about fault versus responsibility. And I think it's a really good mindset for people to understand that there's loads of things that happen to us in life that are not our fault. Like a global pandemic is a good example. The government that you might not agree with is a good example. But, you know, a trauma you carry from your childhood and a traumatic childhood, it was never your fault. But you are living proof of the fact that at some point you still have to take responsibility for dealing with those memories and living the life that you want, not living a life where you're a victim of that of that period. Definitely. And that, that, that's the thing, the documentary, I went back into my childhood and I spoke to mum and dad and my old school teachers. And yeah, like, I'm just proud of it. I'm proud of the person I am. Like, I'm proud that I took that energy, some that was in me and that anger and frustration and somehow at some point just channeled it into something positive. And that for me was exercise from a very young age. I used it as my kind of therapy. And then I was like, I'm good at this. I can do this. I can use this to help other people. I, and so it was just a natural progression into like PE and into personal training. And then from personal training to PE with Joe, it was just... It's, it's always it's the same mission. It's the same mission and the same message. It's just trying to get people to to kind of really adopt that lifestyle. Because once you do, once you really let exercise into your life, once you take care of yourself and put good food in your body, you can live such a happier life. And it's so hard to get right in this modern world we live in. But if you do the right little little daily habits, little things, you can start to just win, you know, little wins, and then you start to feel better. And you can live a much happier life than, than the opposite, which is not exercising and eating, you know, not eating good food and not putting your, your physical and mental health first. So I think mental health is such a big issue that we need to ex- address at the moment. And the best thing I think is, you know, exercise and sleep and good food is going to be a massive head start for that, for that conversation. Nice. Uh, back to our quick fire questions. We got distracted. Um, how important is legacy to you? Oh, legacy. I, I really, I really want to look back in like 20 years time and say you know that body coach that still exists it's like I started it and I was the body coach but that's still a, a, you know a brand and a company that's helping people all around the world you know still still find that little bit of energy and that happiness and stuff and so that's the key for me it's like how can I structure it and bring in the right people so that it doesn't just fizzle out and it's not just like Joe had this moment and that was it and it ended that's a big goal that's a moonshot goal to can you take what I've achieved and and can it can it continually you know in 50 years time still be helping people that's the biggest challenge. Um, but yeah, we're on that process now. We're in that, on that path, I think. But it's very important to me. What advice would you give to a teenage Joe just starting out? Oh, teenage Joe. Well, I was, that's probably when I was at my most like resentful and angry and frustrated because my dad was relapsing so much. It was like every every few years, it was, it was the same kind of pattern. So I was, I suppose I would say, firstly, 
you're going to get through it. You know, however you feel right now, however difficult it is, you're going to get through this time. And when you when you do get through it, you're going to actually go on to really help a lot of people, and you're going to you're going to use that energy, and you're going to have an impact on people's lives, like millions of people's lives, not just a few people that you train in the park in Serb, and you're actually going to help millions of people for a, a difficult time. So. You know, keep keep working, keep focused, and um, and don't give up on on what you believe in. Lovely. And our final question, I guess, in many ways, it's your final message, really, to the people that are listening to this. What would you say is your one golden rule to living a high performance life? I think my one golden rule to, to living a high performance life is really that thing of you know truly like understanding and feeling the connection between physical exercise and your mental health, and and letting that be the motivation because. If looking good was a big enough motivator, we'd all be lean and ripped 24-7, 365 days a year. Like it's not enough just to want to look good. You need to want to feel good and you need to want to put good food in your body because it makes you feel amazing and exercise because you feel everything improves around you when you're being active and you're moving and you're getting fresh air and you're getting outside. So I think that's the biggest thing that it's hard to live a truly optimal lifestyle if you're sedentary. Like break out of that, you know, and and you may not love hit training, but you might love cycling or going for a walk around the park. Just get out, get out of your house, move your body, and and that's going to really help you live, I think, a happier, happier lifestyle, happier life. Brilliant, Damien, Jake. I think Joe is a fascinating character. I loved him. I just thought the authenticity just shone out of him in terms of how genuine he was and how approachable like what like what we've seen on the youtube during lockdown was exactly what we saw here and i think that there are two types of people in life there are the people who say oh the rug's been pulled from under my feet all those people that learn to dance on that shifting mat constantly moving left and right and joe is someone who's learned to dance on a shifting mat whether it's the shifting world of social media, whether it's the shifting world of his own purpose that's gone from fitness to mental health, whether it's the shifting world of trying to launch himself in America and it doesn't happen, whether it's, you know, going down certain avenues and they're not successful, then other areas are hugely successful. That that ability to be responsible, the ability to respond, I think is a superpower of his. Yeah, definitely. I think a big part of, of what makes him so successful is the consistency as well of his message that... You said to him during the interview that his answers weren't contrived because he just has to keep coming back to this idea of movement makes you feel better. And that's what he's in the business of doing, whether it's making just one person understand that message or, in his case, millions of people. There's a real genuineness to what to what he stands for. And I love that it's not about... I know in a, this is a weird thing to say in some ways because it's, about, it's all about Joe Wicks. But the fact that it's no longer about Joe Wicks and it's more about the body coach as in a brand rather than a person I think is really sensible and I think the fact that he is aware that he's getting older aware his body won't go on forever understands that everyone has a shelf life I think there's a powerful message for all of us actually in that yeah so when we talk about culture we often talk about the different types and one type is an autocracy and the danger for Joe is that it becomes all about him where the whole brand is built just around him, where he makes the decisions and it's almost like a fiefdom. Whereas what he's understood is the longer-lasting cultures are commitment cultures where people buy into a purpose, not to a person. And his purpose shines out of everything that he talks about on the brand, and that's more likely to be long-lasting for him. And just to sort of make it clear for people, you can watch the interviews as well on our YouTube channel. And if you watch it, you'll see that we're at the top of the BT Tower. I love the fact he just turned up on his own, got here on the train or whatever, had a bit of food with us afterwards, hung around for a chat and then made his way back out into London. There's no 
agents and chauffeurs or anything like that. He, he sort of, he still feels to me, although he talks about the childhood Joe being a very different person, he still feels very much connected to where he's come from, doesn't he? Yeah, very much. That groundedness, that that idea of not getting high on your own supply is uh, something that I think he recognises it. You know, we talk a lot about success leaves clues. The personal trainer that was in Surbiton Park was the one connecting with individuals. That's the same guy now that's connecting with millions of people around the world. He's still, still that same bloke. And I think that's almost like an invisible skill, that. I think it's easy to not acknowledge that there's something really special about somebody that doesn't allow themselves to get caught up in the hype. And I think there's always a danger that people might be listening to that thinking, well, how can I learn stuff from Joe Wicks for my own life? But actually that podcast was full of takeaways for people. And I think the biggest one is it's, it's not about building a brand or becoming a millionaire or having an app or whatever. It's realising that if you put a sense of purpose at the heart of your life, it will be your daily energy source. Instead of waking up thinking, I've got to do this or I've got to do that, it's I get to do this and I get to do that. Yeah, and see it as a, as a life filled with purpose, as you say, then sort of makes decision-making clarity of whether it's what time do we go to bed, where do I invest my energy. Everything starts to take on a clarity as well. Great. Thanks a lot, Damien. Thanks, Jake. Once again, we've reached that point in the podcast where we speak to a listener who's contacted us on high performance. And it's a real pleasure to welcome someone who messaged to say, I'm a head teacher at a school in Gloucestershire and I feel compelled to get in touch. Your podcast has had a profound effect on me personally and professionally. First, personally, it's helped me to shift my mindset and my approach to high performance and succeed in life in general. By the age of 30, just five years into teaching, I found myself as the head teacher of a wonderful, prestigious, independent prep school with an amazing wife and family. However, I always felt a sense of self-dissatisfaction and always obsessed about chasing the next promotion, the higher salary, the better car. I remember looking at bigger and better jobs in my very first week in that new role. This led to me struggling to be genuinely happy and at times to mental health problems that affected me and my family. However, having listened to the podcast from the very first episode and made notes, it's allowed me to readjust my assessment of success and happiness. I can't understate the impact of what I've taken from your conversations. Well, it's a real pleasure to welcome head teacher Sean Price to the conversation here on High Performance. Hi there, Sean. Hello, uh, hi. Thank you both. Thank you for having me on. Well, look, first of all, in, um, in the spirit of men particularly learning to share a bit more thank you very much for reaching out and you know sending us such an honest and candid message about the struggles you've been through I suppose if I'm listening to this at home I'm thinking hold on how has his mindset changed then what has he learned from that podcast so how would you compare the Sean back then who was constantly it sounds to me like you were outcome focused you were goal orientated how does that compare now to the Sean that's talking to us today I think um, the first thing to state is that it's certainly not a complete process, you know. There are still definitely things to work on, and and things that that are not at a point where where all of it's easy. Uh, and I think actually that work in progress is an important part of the message as well. But I've been very guilty, I think, of comparing myself to others and looking what others are doing and looking what others have. And gosh, I love, you know what, what an amazing job that is. What a car they drive. You know what they're doing. These things that that must be amazing. What an amazing life they lead. And and I've been very guilty, as I'm sure lots of people are, of looking at that and going, well, it's okay if I can just do that, then I'll be happy. And if I can just achieve that or buy that, then then all of a sudden everything will be fine and and everything will change. And that that's something that sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously, as 
always on reflection been a bit of a factor in in, in some of the the difficulties I've had trying to to you know to, to get to a point where I'm happy in myself and I think having listened to the podcast uh, and to be able to look at that and think actually the success that these people have got fundamentally almost always comes back around to that self well-being and saying well yes we you know they are ultimately successful people who are performing highly in a wide variety of, of roles and careers but whether or not they started in that way ultimately they they almost all have come around to that actually being happy in me being happy as a person is the thing that um, that ultimately matters and you know you, ha- you have the example the Johnny Wilkinson example which I know gets referenced quite a lot but but that really resonated with me that that moment of kicking the drop goal in the final and and actually if that is all you're about that, then everything becomes downhill after that and I think for me that was a really important learning um, process to, to what I looked at. So to say, well, do you know what? It doesn't matter what job I get or what I achieve or what the salary is or anything else. That's not going to be the answer to everything. And I think that's that's the difference in my mindset. And then the other one that really resonated that I that I felt was particularly pertinent to me was um, was Mel Robbins and that description about how how you pick others up and talk to others. And a huge part of my job is is talking to staff, to parents, to children and trying to advise them, trying to help them and say, look, this is this is what I would advise. This is what I suggest you do. And, you know, inflating people's tires and saying, you know, you are good at this and you should believe in yourself and you should do all of those things. And then, and then walking away and, and doing almost the exact opposite myself. And I think, you know, those two things, particularly for me, the, the outcome-based goals and trying to shift that mindset um, away from that and that ability to say, actually, what would I say to someone else and saying the same sort of thing to myself. So how do you catch yourself these days then, Sean? So when you find yourself naturally getting into that comparison culture, what sort of tips and tricks can you share with us and our listeners that advise how do you stop yourself going down that route of... of comparing and robbing your own happiness from my perspective it is a it's a case of actually learning from experience and actually looking back to myself when I started teaching um, and, and if I'd given myself the the sort of outline of where I am now in my career and what I've achieved then I'd have gone brilliant everything would be perfect if I could only do that that'll mean everything's perfect and actually looking back and, and realizing that on day one of that job, or week one of that job, as I said, I was going, right, well, what's the next step? Where do I go next? How do I get myself to the next thing? And that, that was really unhealthy at the time. And I think actually from experience, that that one lesson to look back on is the thing that tells me, well, do you know what? I wasn't, I, I wasn't completely and utterly fulfilled as a person on that day one in the job. And therefore, will and why would the next thing be any different? Or why would the thing after that be any different? So from my from my own perspective, it would be it's about my own experiences and learning from them. You know, I really would recommend the, the sort of looking at yourself in the mirror um, example and just saying, what would you say to someone else? And, and if someone walked into your office or, or picked up the phone and called you, if it was a friend, a, a family member, a colleague, and said the things that you're thinking, how would you respond? It just reminds me of, you know, Damien and, and my perfect description of high performance, the best I can with what I've got where I am. And if, as long as you keep on doing that, Sean, as long as everyone listening to this episode just does the best they can with what they've got where they are, then no one, not least of all ourselves, by the way, mate, can expect anything more of us. And that is the single. I think, I think that's a prime example of something you would say to someone else and not necessarily think yourself. Listen, mate, be good to yourself, man. Be kind to yourself. Look at what you've done. Look at what you've achieved. Look at where you are in life. It's, it's amazing. And uh, you should be very proud of everything you've done. So well done. 
Hey, Damien, we've had lots of feedback to the conversation with Lando Norris. Um, I love this episode. What really stood out to me was the psychological cage. The weight of expectation is heavy and fear of consequence is huge. Um, It was a really good reminder, that Lando Norris episode, for asking people once again to focus on their empathy, not on their opinion, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. We got nice feedback as well from Lando's dad, Adam, that had listened to it, that felt that it gave us a really nice, balanced picture of his son. And that, to me, was uh, was was really validating that he could listen to it and feel that would would represented something about the family values that they've obviously passed on to him as well. And I've seen uh, members of the McLaren team arriving in Bahrain, where the first race has just happened, with copies of the high performance book. So you know you're getting into the highest of sporting echelons now, Damo. <laughs> are they using it for like wobbly table legs and things like that or do you think they're using it <laughs> after the first chapter they're not reading it so much um, we got a question that came in this week it said I want to know it seems that all guests speak about a period where they are workaholics and they have acknowledged that come through and have a better balance now but how many of them would be where they are right now without that period it's a really good question because we have to be very careful don't we Damien when it comes to well-being on this podcast what we don't want to do is just say work yourself to the bone um to be successful so how do people get the balance between what we discuss which is all in and 100 responsibility and commitment and consistency with making sure that they get the balance right yeah i mean the first uh, just to go back to the question i think you're right and i think it's something that we're often mindful of of like survivorship bias of people sort of having like survived a period like this and then looking back and retrospectively giving a narrative that fits it so i think we do have to be careful of um of 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 not letting that dominate but i think there is something that we picked up on which is having a to-do list and also having that to don't list so it's the idea that jim collins the management writer talks about of being really clear about things that you won't do as much as the things that you will And I think what that does is it starts to offer you a clarity of your decision-making that means that you prioritise your time and your health and well-being as much as chasing a career and things like that. So while some of our guests maybe wouldn't have achieved the success if they hadn't done it, they also realise that sustained success is about learning these tips and tricks that they're passing on to us, about learning to protect and create boundaries for themselves that that do allow them to replenish and recharge their own batteries. I also think we have to be really honest, okay? We're going to be disingenuous if we sit here, Damien, and say you don't have to work hard to be high performance. Every single one, every single one of the people that's joined us has married sometimes opportunity, sometimes talent, always with hard work. Every single time they have worked themselves to the bone. And I struggle with this a little bit because part of me loves that I, that concept and I definitely am probably guilty of it myself. But what I would say is that it's all about balance. So hard work, like absolute, total and utter hard work that you're so committed at the end of the day, you're like a husk of a person collapsing onto the sofa. That is okay, I think, in my opinion, as long as the balance is right. As long as when your wife says, I'm not seeing enough of you, you react. As long as you're not an absent parent. As long as you still see your friends. As long as you make sure that your mental and physical well-being are high up the agenda like I work as hard right with being a parent and a husband as I do with working so if I've got a game that finishes at as it was this week at half half 11 in Manchester I will still get home for half past four and then I'll still get up at half six and celebrate my wife's birthday and take the kids on the school run 
Now, I then know that I have pushed it a little bit too fast. Then I need a bit of a rest in the afternoon. I need a bit of a sleep. But I could not miss the school run or Harriet's birthday. And I think if it got to the point where I was working so hard, I didn't care about the school run or the birthday, that's when it would bother me. And I'm okay working hard. I love the fact that I'm going to hopefully just be a husk of a man at the end because I've pushed myself to the limit as long as there's not been casualties around me along the way. And that echoes what Bear Grylls told us on episode 100. Do you remember his three Fs of family, friends and faith? Whereas they're, they're his priorities. And he spoke about early on in his career where he sacrificed them because he felt he had to film a TV show even though it uh, fell on his children's birthday. And then he realised that actually, what am I doing? The TV show never went out. So he worked on something that never materialised and he missed his, uh, his children's holidays. So I think you're right about having these really clear non-negotiables there, whether it's about being home for the school run or being home for Harriet's birthday. You're not prepared to compromise on it. And I think that way it allows you to have that clarity of decision-making to know what you won't do as well. Yeah, but then around that 100% commitment, 100% of the time, which I, works for me. And let's just remind people what Eddie Jones said. It's not for everyone. Uh, thanks a lot, Damien. Thanks, Jake. Loved it. Really, really enjoyed that. Don't forget that Joe's new book, Feel Good Food, is available to buy right now. Um, there's a link on the description to this podcast. So thank you very much to Joe. Thank you to Damien, of course, to Will, to Gemma, to Eve, to Hannah, to Finn, Ryan from Rethink Audio, the whole high performance team. Remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. Be your own biggest cheerleader and make world-class basics your calling card. And we'll see you next time. 